welcome to another episode of Christ in Context, a podcast dedicated to seeing Christ in all of Scripture and using all of Scripture to filter all of life. My name is Kevin, your host, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of Christ in Context. My name is Kevin, and we are doing a special out-of-context episode um, we are going to be talking about Second Chronicles 7, but before we do, this is a very special episode to this show because we have our very first guest with us. Um, he is my really sweet and dear friend Aww. named Luke, and he has his own uh, podcast called the Study Anchor Podcast, and that's partially how I got into the Society of Reformed Podcasters, yep. <laughs> because he's already in it, and he's been doing podcasting for about a year, and so... Let Luke, me tell my thing. Yeah, I'll let you tell... <laughs> okay, fine. Talk, so I, tell, tell the listeners about yourself. Well, thank you for having me on, Kevin. I appreciate it. I'm sure that there's a lot of overlap in our listenership, just because of our our shared association with the Society of Reformed Podcasters, which is a great bunch of guys if you're looking for doctrinally sound resources like this. Um, but you and I, of course, have been working together on my podcast for a while. Uh, I, um, If you've heard my stuff before, my name is Luke, as Kevin introduced. I'm another Bible college senior, as is Kevin, studying for the pastorate. We are pretty good friends. We've known each other for a couple years now. You were in my wedding? I was in his wedding, yes. It's where I found my my current beautiful, beautiful girlfriend, soon to be fiancé, eventually to be wife. Um, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I started my podcast, the Steady Anchor Podcast, a little over a year ago, just with the intention of having a good discipline for myself to be producing and communicating good biblical content, and also hopefully as an encouragement for the church in large, for just hopefully for the people in my sphere of influence to encourage them to go deeper into Scripture, to be seeking for those important, deep doctrinal truths of the faith, to get engaged more with the Scriptures, get more involved in their church, get deeper into discipleship. So that's why I started the podcast. That's why Kevin and a couple other friends and I have launched DoctrinalDiscipleship.com and the Doctrinal Discipleship Facebook group. Uh, so yeah, it's been a good year. Uh, I've had Kevin, I've had you on for a lot of episodes of my podcast, and uh, I was glad to be able to help you start this. And I've really enjoyed what I've heard so far. So thank you for having me on, and thanks to our live studio audience. Yeah, we. <laughs> if you hear some rattling, or I, I don't know what you'll hear, but you'll probably you'll probably a lot of beeping. you'll probably hear stuff, and it's because. Um, my wife and Luke's girlfriend, beautiful girlfriend, future fiance, eventually. <laughs> my b- beautiful bride. <laughs> ha! I can say bride. You can't. Shut up. Uh, anyways, uh, they gave us like an hour to record by ourselves, and we biffed it because technology's dumb. Yeah, I hate Apple. I hate technology. I. I'm just really bad at it. <laughs> and Luke tried to help me. And I tried. He hates Apple as well. I so. just don't like nothing. <laughs> nothing. It's supposed to be like, oh, it's so simple and like user friendly, but it's not. It's, it's not. not. Nothing that you want is where you want it. No, they don't have anything that you need where you need it, and there's no plugins or anything. I'm just like, I just want give me a button to add the thing in where I want it, so we can record both of these. But it's not there, and it's frustrating. <laughs> Anyway, so, so yeah, there's going to be some noises because the girls are here and they're cooking dinner. Yes. Well, I, my wife's cooking dinner. Jess is 
She's just hanging out. Yes. But speaking so, of frustrations, you know what else is frustrating, Kevin? Verses that are taken out of context. Exactly. It's like Tell I us have, more about that. Well, I've been doing that <laughs> since this started. <laughs> but um, we are going to be talking about Second Chronicles 7. This came up in the middle of an episode that I recorded on Luke's show. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about... We were ending out his Habakkuk series and then... I don't know how Second Chronicles came up. Do you remember how that came up? I think we were talking about, in the end, how uh, because of Habakkuk's closing prayer in the book of Habakkuk, how it's a, a, it's a moment of hope. It's a short light at the end of a kind of a dark book explaining that despite the destruction that was oncoming in their city, he still had hope for restoration. And that was within the context of Israel as a, a nation-state covenanted with God. They were being punished because of specific sins, because they had disobeyed the covenant, but he had the confidence that if they obeyed and returned to God, that God would restore them and bless them as he had in first. And so because that was a difference in covenant, it's very careful for us to apply that rightly to how it applies to our lives, because we are not the nation state of Israel, we are not in the same covenantal system in the same way that Israel was. Uh, and so with that, we reference this verse, which is commonly used, kind of taken out of context, as we said before, yeah. to apply to us as it did to its immediate audience. But there's a disconnect there. It's a different circumstance, a different intention. It's a different covenantal relationship. And so that's where we came up with the episode idea. Yeah, yeah. And even on top of that, this this verse has been on my mind since... Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic kind of started because as this pandemic had started, I saw this verse posted on like different pictures with like, you know, the, the fair skin, blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus holding the lamb kind of picture. And then it would have this verse plastered on it and just basically say, see guys, you just got to turn from your sin and then God's going to take the COVID away. Yep. And, or he's wearing like a, He's wrapped himself in an American flag and wearing a MAGA hat or something. <laughs> Probably, yeah. There, there's all kinds of terrible, terrible stuff going around. So this was already on my radar of one of the topics and that I wanted to get to with this out-of-context um, series. And I thought it would be nice to just take a little break from Zechariah. So um, I'm going to read this verse really quick and then we'll get into the immediate context and just kind of we don't really have a verse by verse to go by because it's just two verses Mm -hmm. so we'll just dissect it a little bit i was actually really surprised i was looking for some online commentaries and i couldn't find any yeah and and you were telling me that that's in part because this verse hasn't really been taken out of context until really like the peak of dispensationalism yeah so i think it's strange um because if you look at this historically, this the application of this verse to our particular situation, obviously there have been people who have applied it different ways throughout history, some in decent ways, some in not-so-decent ways. But I think it's really come to a forefront in the application of America and the West in the last hundred years, because unfortunately we've done that with most of the Bible, right? Because mm-hmm. if you go looking through evangelicalism, you have all of these verses that are taken out of their context, as we've, we're other, discussing today. The other five episodes <laughs> that I've done so far. Exactly. And and taken it out of its 
direct context of um, who is speaking, who he's speaking to, why they're speaking, the context in which the thing has spoken, basically in applying that without any alternate information to our current situation. Mm -hmm. And so we have here in this verse the promise of restoration for repentance that was given to Israel by the prophet because of their covenantal relationship. And we'll get there in a minute, but it's... It's not a very historical problem because it's only in the last century or so, maybe, that this verse has been used specifically for our modern American context, where people just strip the verse out of context and say, here, if we as a country uh, get rid of all the liberalism and stuff that's going on today, then if we go back to our good old American roots, then we'll be healed, we'll be prosperous again, if you like just in the good old days. more Republican... That everything's going to be great again, right? Because you got to make America great again. Even though Donald Trump is hardly Republican, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna say it. Fight me. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely more of a populist than a classical Republican. Exactly. But that's that's a topic for another podcast. Um. So we'll get into those issues today. But we'll go ahead, Kevin. Yeah. I'm going to read through that I'll verse first. It. So verses 13 and 14 of Second Chronicles 7 read like this from the New American Standard Bible. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And that last little bit will forgive their sin and will hear their heal their land is specifically what gets taken out of context. It's this idea that like, um, if you just repent and give your life to, if you just accept Jesus into your heart and that, that was a, there was another topic that we were going to do with revelation three twenty, where Mm. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And we were going to talk about how people a lot of times say that, you know, you just got to accept Jesus into yeah. your heart. and As if that's an evangelistic yeah. in, uh, call instead of Christ speaking to a disobedient church. Instead of Christ's first words being repent, not <laughs> just accept me into your yeah. heart. But yeah. anyways, a so... A lot of issues surrounding that. Yeah, so the, the whole idea that kind of gets floated around with this is it's basically the prosperity gospel. Um, yeah. That if you do good, if you just... If you're good enough and, you know, God you turn from it. your sin, God yeah. will bless you. He will bless your land. You will have a prosperous land, your country. And the misapplication right from the get-go is that this has this passage has its own particular context to a particular land that didn't even know that the United States of America— well, first of all, the United States of America didn't exist yeah. at the time of this writing— but the people didn't know that the yeah, North this, American this continent, continent existed. existed. <laughs> so there's already some huge issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I, as I was, let's just keep getting into the context a little bit more. Um, yeah. So specifically at the beginning of the chapter, uh, we see this, I, we see Solomon um, finishing the building of the temple. The temple is getting consecrated. Um, there's the Shekinah glory that uh, enters the temple. And so there's this idea of the Davidic covenant being fulfilled in, uh, in one sense where um, in second Samuel seven, David is promised by Nathaniel that um, he will have a son who will 
continue his house. And there's this promise that as long as David's descendants continue to walk in the way of the Lord, then God will prosper the nation and he will be faithful to David and his line. Um, And so Solomon builds this temple and is essentially this fulfillment of this, this promise, but it's short lived. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not very long after that Solomon's descent. Well, Solomon himself by the end of his life is living a wicked lifestyle and um, his descendant, like his sons split and they caused this split between Israel and Judah. And from there it just continues to degenerate and go out of control. So um, the other thing that I want to point out is this idea that we make as a distinction of the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, mm-hmm. which I'm going to have Luke explain, but um, this is in part how we can distinguish. Um, it's really useful and helpful in distinguishing between what promises are applicable from the Old Testament. Um, and then um, further, I, I just totally zoned out. Words. So, yeah. English is hard. Kevin. Yeah, it is. It's really, <laughs> English is a bad language. So, um, what covenant (laughs) so what i think you're asking is yes what is the difference in the context here and how does our understanding of covenant interact with how we understand the text uh in part yeah i was i was trying to just finish out the explanation that uh because it's the covenant of works there is a difference in application Mm -hmm. that's what that's all i was trying to say i don't know why i couldn't get that out (laughs) yeah what so i don't understand why every time we record together we're both drinking way too much coffee and just really flustered i don't know it's just it we're beep beep <laughs> we're 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 professionals yes we are just kidding for some we're reason really we do this we do this for fun we do yeah. this to encourage one another we do this to encourage you but yeah i'm sorry if we don't hold up to professional standards yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think the the general idea of people when they get like super wired on coffee is that their brain like goes too fast mine does the opposite of that like it just doesn't work i space out it probably is i like space out super hard when i drink too much coffee so back to the point at hand okay why don't you explain the difference between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace just give us a quick rundown of covenant theology Mm. so to put this in the context of the whole biblical meta narrative of all of what scripture reveals to us So the problem is that how this verse is commonly applied is taken as a unilateral promise to all of God's people through all of history without any specific binding uh, context. So people will take this verse and say, okay, here in America today, we see some of these problems. We see uh, droughts, maybe. We see bugs and pestilence. We see uh, whatever the issues may be. So when we see hurricanes, when we see earthquakes, when we see financial collapse, when we see all these different things, wildfires, and now riots, and all this stuff. And, and sickness. And sickness, yeah. yes. They take that promise and just say, look at this verse where it says, if my people, God speaking to his people, will humble themselves, pray and seek his face, turn from their wicked ways, he will hear them, forgive them, and heal their land. So they take this as a unilateral, equally binding promise for all generations, saying that if something bad is happening, we're being punished. And so all that we have to do is repent and go back to God, and then he's just going to fix it and make it better again. It's essentially do better. Yeah. That old, that old good old Pelagianism, which yeah. the basic rule of life is try harder and do better. But that's not 
what Scripture as a whole teaches us, and right. it's important for us to understand the context in which these words are spoken. So going back to the issue of covenant, the concept of covenant, which I would say is one of the overriding themes throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, and how that reveals to us uh, the whole unfolding plan of salvation. So God relates to his people through condescending and by means of covenant. He makes these covenantal relationships with his people. He makes a covenant with Adam in creation. He makes a covenant with Noah and all of his descendants. He makes a special covenant with Abraham. Um, and these are all can be categorized different ways. The two of us as 1689 Federalist will say that these are all extensions of a covenant of works. Mm-hmm. The covenant of works is the the original covenant given to Adam where he was promised to do this and live. Don't do this and die, perish. So because all of it basically was summed up and Adam had to maintain perfect perpetual obedience to inherit eternal life. And because he sinned and fell, all of us have fallen with him and all of us are unable to fulfill that covenant of works. And so God, in many ways, though these covenants do contain an element of grace, all that God does with his people, without besides just destruction altogether, is elements of grace. But these are, in a sense, extensions of the covenant of works. So when he says to Abraham, follow me, obey me, I will make you a great nation, but make sure that you circumcise your children or they will be cut off. That's a conditioned covenant. When he says to Moses, follow these laws, give these laws and restrictions to the people. If they obey, I will bless them and give them a land and inheritance. But if they disobey, they will be cut off and restricted. They will be taken away from their land and sold into slavery. Hmm. When he says to David, as you already explained, Kevin, that if if you and your descendants obey me, cherish my laws and my statutes, they will remain on the throne forever. But if they disobey, I will discipline them. I will chastise them. I will remove them from the throne. Although all of this, of course, is a lot more complicated than you can run through in just a short um, analysis like this. So we come to this context then where God is speaking to his people in the context of the covenant of works, in a sense, in the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, where the people's, the people's, place in the promised land was conditioned upon their con- their continued obedience to the covenant regulations. They were to abstain from idolatry. They were to, f- to follow the Levitical restrictions in the temple worship. They were to do all these things that we see in the law, in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Exodus. But God, of course, makes the way for them. He gives them the sacrificial system. He extends grace and to an extent. So, even if they do fall away, even if a generation falls into disobedience, if they're carried off into slavery, he still is giving them an out. He's still giving them the opportunity to repent and be restored. And so we have this specific verse at the end of Second Chronicles, or wherever it is in the book, where God says to his people, listen, you have done this over and over and over again where you have walked away from me, where you have turned your back on me to foreign gods, when you have served the Baals, when you have, when you have sacrificed your children on the altars to foreign gods, when you have forsaken all my laws and broken my covenant rules with you. And yet he gives them the opportunity so that when, when all things are going south, when they are being carried off to destruction, when their lands are, are withering, when the water dries up, when he is punishing them for their disobedience, 
then if they repent, he will restore them and show grace to them. Mm -hmm. But the difference is that we as Christians are members of a new covenant and a better covenant where our blessings are not tied to our ability to keep the law. Our blessings are tied to our union with Christ, the one who has perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf. And so we in the new covenant cannot make these one-to-one correlations saying, if bad things are happening, it's because of our disobedience. And if good things are happening, it's because of our our obedience. Mm -hmm. Because that is not how the new covenant is shown to us, revealed to us. It's a covenant of grace, which promises more than it demands, that it's more gospel than law. And that's an important distinction for us to make. Yeah, and that's not to say that God doesn't discipline his children in the covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I think there's a confusion that we say, well, we're in the covenant of grace, which means God doesn't punish us like he did in the Old Testament, which in part is true because our relationship with him isn't contingent on our obedience, but in part he does discipline us and, you know, he pours out his wrath on nations and you know mm-hmm. god does whatever he pleases yeah god does still execute justice in whatever way that he sees fit that's what we just got through the habakkuk series on my show yeah which just goes through this issue of god executing justice in whatever way he sovereignly sees as most beneficial to him and so um again just looking back to the distinctions and covenants like if you go back just to deuteronomy 28 i think you had that kevin if you want to explain that some for us yeah i just i had that on our notes specifically because I think that this little section, 13 and 14, and then um, later on, verses 19 and 20, is a brief kind of summary. It's, yeah, it's a brief summary of um, Deuteronomy chapter 28, which is a really lengthy chapter. Um, And it's, the first half of it is, all of these blessings that the Israelites would receive if they were to be faithful in their part of the covenant. But the other half is all of the um, curses that they would face if they were disobedient in their part of the covenant. And we definitely see that later fulfilled in the um, curses where they get destroyed and they get sent off into exile. And so when we see this language of if I command the locust or if I devour the land, if I send the pestilence, we see that the language is, um, it's like, it's contingent on something. Mm -hmm. It's conditional. It's conditional. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and then the same thing with, uh, I'll read verses 19 and 20, just so you kind of know what I'm saying. It says, but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you. And before I keep reading, that is to continue off of, so um, the Lord is setting this standard of, if I shut up the heaven so that there's no rain, if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and then verse 14 begins one type of response. And then later in verse 19, there's another kind of response. So 14 is if they humble themselves and return, And then 19 is, if they turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot you from my land, which I have given you, and this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. Mm -hmm. And this is, in summary, what God lays out in Deuteronomy 28, Um, which, and 
that's why we were talking about the covenants because mm. um, tw- chapter 28 is the the kind of pinnacle of the covenant of works because you see the two aspects of you know how sharp of a distinction it is mm-hmm. um additionally while you were talking i was thinking about you know how how can we apply this like there there is a part where we mm-hmm. we understand that we can't apply this in full yeah because it is part of the old covenant but right, there right. is a part in how we can apply it. And you mentioned that Jesus is the fulfillment of um, the, he he has brought a new and better covenant Mm -hmm. because he, he is the son of David. So he is the one to completely fulfill the promise to David from uh, second Samuel seven. And that is why we can look ahead in revelation 21 uh, I was just thinking of this as you were talking that um, I, w- I was trying to put it together. Like how, well, how does this promise go together? Um, so the condition is if my people will obey essentially. Mm-hmm. And I've heard some theologians talk about Jesus as being true Israel. Mm-hmm. He is the obedient Israel, the better Adam, the yeah. better Moses, the better Israel, the yeah. true King David. Yeah. And so because of that, we can, because he has fulfilled our end of the promise for us, mm. we can look ahead to uh, Revelation 21. And I'm just going to read the first four verses. Th- this is, this might be my, one of my favorite promises in the New Testament. Um, where John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer and there will no longer be any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain the first things have passed away and the reason i see this connection is because we don't see the fulfillment of this promise in second chronicles until the new heaven and new earth mm. um but we can rely on christ that we will see this promise fulfilled exactly because he has risen from the grave yeah and that's why it's important for us to keep this in context because in truth because we are in a new covenant and a better covenant we don't want this to be a one-to-one restriction for us today yeah right because we put these verses as a direct application to us if we put this law of obedience back on ourselves as you said with verses 19 through 20 if we fail to obey these commandments in full, then we will be uprooted. We will be cast out. We will be destroyed and made, made a proverb and a byword among the peoples. Yeah. And that's, we don't want to go back yeah. to a covenant of works. Yeah. A lot of times when verses like this are taken out of context, it's easy to look at the positive end of it and think, well, all I have to do is just turn to Jesus and things will go well with me. Mm-hmm. But if you put that kind of weight on yourself, then like you said, we'll be destroyed as soon as we start to fall away or start to slip in our 
sin, you know? And that's why this kind of selective hermeneutic is dangerous, because people will take verses like these about restoration and blessings out of its context, especially with the prosperity gospel movement. Yeah. But it will ignore, um, I think often in evangelicalism, it ignores the, the rest of the chapters, as we've been reading, where it talks about if you fail to live up to these restrictions, you will be cast down, cast out, and destroyed. And so we have to we have to make a, a fine distinction between us as Americans, us as Westerners, us as New Covenant Christians, even, and the the covenanted nation of Israel in that day. Mm-hmm. So, when people, well-meaning people, I I grew up with verses like this were commonly applied to us, and where this was a good and encouraging verse. I have family members who have used this verse referring to this pandemic, mm-hmm. and they mean well to do so. But in truth, if we make this a verse that is meant for us in that sense, then we are putting ourselves in far worse a condition. Because as you said, Christ is the only one who can fulfill these laws and restrictions for us. If only we are united to him by faith, are we counted as obedient to these? And so if we try and make these verses about us and our physical blessing, we will fail 10 times out of 10. Yeah. But as you said, there are important principles within this that are applicable to us, right? It does teach us things about God, about his faithfulness, about his justice, and about how we should act today, uh, despite the fact that this verse is not meant to show us how to make things better again. So even if the church turns around completely, even if all of the the progressive movement, even if uh, progressive theology and all of our our moral failings within the American church, even if we got rid of all of that, which I think is unlikely because the church has always had sinners in it, that's kind of (laughs) the point, even if that were to happen, then America would still not see this crazy, weird blessing. We wouldn't see COVID just disappear overnight. Right. Because that's not the promise that's given to us. Yeah. That's the promise given to ancient covenanted Israel. Yeah. And so we have to realize, though, that this is given to to show us that we could not fulfill the law for ourselves. It's meant to point us to Christ, as we've been talking about already so far. Because we know that what did Israel do after this statement was given? They went right back into the disobedience and idolatry and sin that led them into exile over and over and over again. Which is why that they even continued to reject God, to reject his messengers and his prophets, to the point where the majority of them rejected the Messiah that they were waiting for in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so we in the new covenant can look back on this promise and say, God is good and God is just. He didn't have to give this covenant to Israel, but it is the grace of God that not only does he give us a way of, of, of grace, a way of salvation, but he is the one who provides himself as our substitute and mm-hmm. fulfills it on our behalf when we could not fulfill it on our own. Mm-hmm. And so it's a message of encouragement, a reminder that God is good and gracious, and also something that should point us to Christ, knowing that he has fulfilled this. And even despite what may be happening in our nation today, like we've talked about before how we can't look at corona and say, oh, that's God punishing us specifically for specific sins. Because we learn from passages like Luke 13, where Jesus makes the point that People don't just die because of specific sins that they commit. The yeah. the blind man that Jesus heals, where they ask him, did he sin or they or his parents? And he says, yeah. neither. Yeah. Right? Natural disasters happen. Yeah. 
And that's not to say that God isn't doing this for a specific purpose. Yeah. I mean, he could be punishing and correcting sin in America with this virus, but we can't say that that is the main issue. That's the main point. We can't say that, oh, because America has sinned in this way, therefore we suffer from this virus. Yeah. No, we have to realize that in the new covenant, in the covenant of grace, the blessings that we receive are because we're united to Christ who has fulfilled the law. And that is good news. That is gospel. That is not law. And we should not yeah. continue to place ourselves under the law. Yeah. And because he has fulfilled um, all of that, he, he has fulfilled the law for us. He has fulfilled the covenants that we never would have been able to keep. Um, we do have this promise to look forward to that we will be able to be united with him in full um, soon. I don't, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I hope that it's soon. Yeah. And when it does happen, we will reap the benefits that he has won for us, that there will be no more crying or pain or sickness or death any longer. Mm. And uh, we will live the way that, uh, you know, in, in one sense, the way that God intended it in Eden, um, but in another sense, the way that he has always planned it to be. Um, so I hope that this is encouraging and, um, that that's why I do this podcast because I want to encourage people. Um, I, I, you know, these verses that are taken out of context are not like when they're taken out of context, it, they lose their rich hope and their rich, meaning that mm. they carry with them. Um, and when we rightly handle them and rightly interpret them, we see that there is such beauty and um, it really points us to Christ that um, we need him and um, in adoration that he has fulfilled what we need him to fulfill. And we, it makes me want to bow down and worship. Mm-hmm. So yeah. anything else that you want to add? Uh, just as a closing remark, just a good understanding of the text, again, is a reminder to interpret it in its context and to look for Christ in that context. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but to avoid the extremes on both sides. Charles Spurgeon always used to use the illustration that you can fall off a horse two ways. You can fall off to the left or you can fall off to the right. And so we what don't want to fall off. Or whatever. It's an analogy. <laughs> Shut up, Kevin. But so in context, what he's meaning there is stuff like this. We don't want to go to either extreme and miss what the actual point is. We don't want to go to one side that says, oh, it doesn't matter for us at all. The Old Testament's not relevant. We got to unhitch from it, or it's a different dispensation that we don't need to worry about. Right. But we shouldn't, on the other side, act as if this is all entirely specifically for us without any historical meaningful context that needs to be interpreted in this light. So... Good, good. Sorry. Whoa. Whoa. That was like Irish for a second. Good. A weird Indian Irish mix. Good, (laughs) good principles of interpretation means interpreting in context and in proper balance. We want to read scripture in light of scripture, treating each truth in respect to each other truth. I think it was Tripoli who said that most false teaching is is putting too much emphasis on one true thing at the exclusion of another true thing. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for joining me. Um, Until next time, just continue to read your Bible, bro. Good advice. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Christ in Context. If you enjoyed the episode, give us a rating and a review through Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming app you use to listen. And subscribe to be notified when new content is posted. You can find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Christ in Context Pod and Twitter at CNC Podcast. If you have a question that you would like to hear answered on the show, reach out on social media or email us at ChristInContextPod at gmail.com. We are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters and Doctrinal Discipleship. For other edifying material, check out ReformPodcasts.com and Doctrinal Discipleship either on Facebook or DoctrinalDiscipleship.com.